Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope that you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. <laughs> okay, for our uh, study today, we're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17 in a paper Bible. It'll be about one-fifth of the way through a paper Bible. It's in the Old Testament. Uh, if you're using your smartphone, you can just figure that out. 1 Samuel 17, my introductory thought today is the idea of maybe, maybe you've heard of uh, someone who is classified as a person who is really good in a clutch situation or a clutch player. Most of the times I've heard of this, it refers to sports. So when I Googled a clutch player, here's what came up on the screen. Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, it actually said the most clutch NBA players of all time. So can you, you know what a clutch player, you know, it's, it's the person who can come through, it's the important part of the game, you want the ball in their hands because of their skills or determination. By the way, these are some more updated pictures, like it's, it's these kind of guys that are playing today, clutch player, are you with me? Like kind of under, by the way, this is not just a sports thing. Professionally, you know, there are people in your office that when the boss assigns them the task of, uh, of a project, there are people in your office when it says, yes, yeah, so Joe's or Susan's in charge of it, you go, oh, good. Uh, right? There are, su- there are some you go, okay, that's a good call because they'll do well. Relationally, there are people who, when there's a relational mess and you hear that so-and-so is getting involved, it makes you go, I'm so glad because she'll do well. He'll, you know, be kind or loving or truthful. You know what I mean? Spiritually, there are clutch players. These are the people that if you have a friend who's asking questions about God or they're curious about God and you bring them to church or you're at some event and you realize your questioning friend is talking to that clutch player Christian, something inside you goes, oh good, oh good, I'm glad they're talking to to her. I'm glad you're talking to him because chances are it'll go well. I'd like to be a clutch player player dad. Wouldn't it be cool if your kid said, my dad can do anything? My dad, doesn't that, guys, wouldn't it be cool to be a clutch player? I'm guessing we would all like to be that kind of a person. And I'm pretty sure none of us want to be labeled the other guy. Like the one when, when someone says, uh-oh, there's Chuck. Oh, no. <laughs> He's talking to my friend. Oh, no. Hey, Chuck's in charge. Oh, crap. <laughs> Jump ship. It'll never work. Right? We don't want to be that guy. <laughs> so some good news. God, I think, wants us to be 
the people that can get it done, the, the, the clutch players. So here's a couple Bible verses. In Romans 8, verse 37, it says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, which is a reference to Jesus Christ. In Matthew 25, Uh, Jesus is talking about those who will be faithful. And it says, the master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful. You've done well. Later in Matthew 25, it says, I just like these descriptions. Very practical. You know, someone who can get things done is, is, is not just a talker, they're practical. So it says, Jesus says, I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. You did what was necessary. You know how to get it done. So hold that thought. We're, in, uh, we're pretty early in our summer series called Facing Your Giants, and we're exploring the spiritual journey of a character, a Bible, a guy named David, and uh, we're going to get our first glimpse in, in, the, in the midst of the um, story of David. We're going to get the first glimpse of David's ability to really get things done. It's actually probably the most famous story of David. It's the story of David and Goliath. And so even if you don't know much about the Bible, you may have heard of this uh, story. By the way, those of you that are doing the, the reading plan, you just read this whole story in the last, you know, little season here. And, and if you want to jump in and read with the rest of the folks at the church, The Life of David, we have uh, these available at the resource centers, Grape Road, you grab them too. Um, and you'll get way more out of the series just in your personal Bible time. So, it's in 1 Samuel 17. Let me set the scene because we're not going to read the entire chapter. It's a pretty big story, pretty long story. So our guy David has been anointed as the next king, but he's not leading yet, and all, no one knows. Like it was kind of in disguise. People don't know yet that he's going to be the next king. Uh, God's people in this setting are at war. The bad guys are the Philistines, God's people, the Israelites, and there's a battle going on. In this battle, uh, there's two hills, so, you know, one's up over here, and we'll say the Philistines are over here. Up over here uh, are God's people, the Israelites, and then there is this valley in between the two hills, and that's the battleground. And, but one of the things that's happening during this battle is on a daily basis, this guy named Goliath, before battle, this is a pre-battle ritual, he comes down to the, to the to valley and shouts up at God's people, and he says, you can read this, this is paraphrased, but he basically, he says, how about we simplify all of this war thing, I'll just represent my team, you pick your best warrior, send him down, We'll fight, and whoever wins, wins. Does that make So it's a call out. By the way, in the midst of it, he, he, he trash talks and, you know, like, like, if, if, if I'm, I'm assuming he somehow communicates, 
if there's a real man in your army, send him down. You know what? There's this thing going on. Now, in the midst of God's uh, army, thousands of men, I assume, what's happening is whenever the guy comes down, no one is taking him up on his offer. In terms of relating it to sports, I thought about if you're playing basketball and you pull up in a huddle and you look across at the team and they've got like some huge player, you know, like, and then you'd, you'd say, okay, so who wants to guard the big guy? And everybody goes, I don't want to guard the big guy. I don't, I don't want to. You guard the big guy. I don't want to. Nobody wants to guard the big guy. It'd be like nobody wants to guard Jimmy Fleshman. <laughs> I'd, I'd take you, Jimmy. Pastor, anyway, that was just like it. No, but it would be like, yeah, I don't want to guard that guy. Does that make sense? I'm, like, I'm taking way too long to describe this. Goliath, I don't want to guard the big guy. So David shows up on the scene. He's not actually a, 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 an army guy. He's just kind of a young guy. He shows up. Basically, he sees this situation, and he says, put me in, coach. I'll take that guy. And so with a slingshot, it's not like a slingshot, like like one of those, but like, one of those things, like he swung around. I don't know if that helped or not. But he takes out, he wins this battle. So let's look, go to the climax of the story, which is in verse 41. It says, they're, they're down in the valley now, David and Goliath. It says, the Philistine, that's Goliath, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. <laughs> How much time do I have? No, we're going on. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine, that's Goliath, cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I will give your flesh to the birds of the to the birds and the wild animals. Trash talking. David said to Goliath, You have come, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, so let's go down to verse 48. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Title of the talk this weekend is Wired to Win, and we're going to explore how David slayed this giant. Now, before I give you a couple principles, by the way, read the chapter. There's tons of good stuff in this chapter. I'm going to focus on two things. Uh, before we do this, would you pause and think about an area of your life that is like it's super important that you win this battle? Most of us have an area like, yeah, this is. We're not playing here. This is really important. 
could be, you know, your parenting, or your, your, could be right now you've got a financial battle thing, and it's really important. So can you think of something? Give me a head nod if you're like, okay, I got an area. All right, let's pray. God, I guess I'll simplify it. Help us. Talk to us. That we might do well and win in these important areas of our life because of the truth that you'll teach us today from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. I have two ways that David approached this that I think will help us. First, first idea, and you can write this on your handout if you'd like. David slays a giant by including God's presence. And I, including is probably not a strong enough word. If you want to write out to the side, emphasizing. But there's a, there's a difference. Um, well, we'll look at the text. It says, David said, this is when the tra- trash talking is going on. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin? That's what you're bringing to the battle? But I come against you... Look at it. In the name of the Lord Almighty. And it goes on just a few words later. It says, this day, this is super important. The Lord, right? The Lord will deliver you into my hands. The idea we want to explore is the reality. It wasn't just David on the battlefield. Getting that? Well, it's not just David. I thought of it another way. This was a new way for me. Goliath was kind of heavy on emphasizing weapons. Now, if you go back and read the story, there's this list of all the things that Goliath is bringing to the battle. In, uh, uh, in verses 4 through 7, it just has this list. So Goliath has a, has a bronze helmet. He's got this special coat of armor. He's got things down here for his legs. He's got a javelin, and he's got a spear, and he's got a shield. And later in the text we realize, and he's got a sword. By the way, he doesn't just have a shield. He has a shield bearer. So he's got a guy with him carrying. So I was imagine when he's coming down off the hill and taunting, he's not, uh, this is not stealth mode. Because, you know, he's chunk, chunk, got all kinds of, I found a, I couldn't find a good enough picture, but here's a picture of a warrior. But none of these guys, neither one of these guys have the same amount of stuff that's just listed when Goliath is coming into this place. By the way, if you want to re- study a little more, it has, I think to emphasize the size of Goliath, but it has the weight of many of the things that he came. So his coat weighs 150 pounds. Then he's got these bronze greaves. It doesn't say how much those weigh or his helmet weighs. His spear tip weighs 15 pounds. That doesn't include the spear shaft, which some estimate the whole thing probably weighed 35 pounds. This is just like got a lot of, if the, the, the shield, who knows what that weighed because it took some other guy to carry it. So I did some math just crude math. I'm guessing Goliath brought, if you include the weight of his sidekick, 
over 400 pounds of stuff to the, to the fight. You know what David brought? About all David's things could be held in the palms of his hand. He's got a little pouch, a little swingy sling thing, five stones. And God. That's why he won. It's the presence of God. I was thinking just yesterday about, I think, by the way, I think David brought some skills. But if you've got God on the battlefield with you, even if your aim is a little bit off, you know, David, David could have, in theory, just gone, uh, uh, because there's so much God on there that it, does that make sense? By the way, a lot of people that have studied this more than I have, they say that the only vulnerable part in Goliath's whole armor would have been a little spot about this big where he could have seen out through his helmet. It's like, and that's where the stone went. Wow, what a coincidence. David was really good. Yeah, well, yeah, and maybe, maybe he was someone that emphasized and was aware of and invited the presence of God. You can write this down. David didn't win because of his equipment. He won because of his equipping. He was equipped with the presence of God. You can see David's awareness and his reliance on the presence of God throughout the writing of David. By the way, if you don't know, David wrote quite a bit of the Old Testament, the book of Psalms. He wrote a lot of that. Here's just some verses. Psalm 18. David says, I love you, Lord. My strength. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my fortress and my deliverer. The implication is the Lord is my shield. The horn of my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold. So what's all, what's David's lists, list of weapons? It's God. Later in the same chapter, David says, with your help, God, I can advance against a troop. Psalm 28, 7 says, the Lord is my strength, my shield, my heart trusts in him. He helps me. So think of the area of your life you want to see success, you want to do well. Here's a question to explore. How often am I including the Lord? Inviting, including. By the way, not just, oh, I trust that God is with me. There's not, does that make sense? Not just, oh, God is everywhere. So that, no, how much are you... Leaning in strategically and inviting God and his presence and his power into that situation. This is not a great connecting point, but I thought of the difference between, because it's kind of, it's graduation season. I thought of the difference between, you know, you can have an open house for one of your kids that's graduating. And really, everyone's invited, right? It's an open house. But who comes? It's the people to get the invitation, right? If you really want a person to show up, you invite them. 
uh, at, uh, I'm glad to be part of the staff here at the church. Uh, virtually every single meeting we have, and throughout a you know, typical day, you know, there are dozens of different meetings that are happening. But before every, maybe we, we make some mistakes every once in a while, but for every meeting, someone pauses and prays. Because it's important. So you pause and you say, you know, help us, God. So if you want to invite his presence, here's some hints. Uh, three things to think about before we go on to the next point. Invite him early. You can write that in. Invite him early. Every day when you get up. I, I don't know when this started to happen in my life, but I'm actually okay at this. Every day, gosh, almost every single day, my second thought when I wake, my first thought is, oh, gosh, I don't want to get up. My second thought <laughs> is, it, that comes out of my mouth is usually something like, good morning, Father. I don't know when I even developed that, but it's the, the first thing is, hey, God, we're in this day together. I think that helps. Invite him early. Second thing, include him regularly. I don't think you can ever over-invite God. Like at 10 o'clock when you're getting ready to go into that meeting or you're about to have a conversation with your friend and you, you, you can't. Say, oh, and Lord, by the way, I'd like you, will you help me with this? Will you help? I don't think it, at some point, I don't think he ever goes, yeah, I, I already heard you. No, he says, yeah, sure. Just over-invite him. Just, you know, every meeting, every lunch thing, every difficult situation, everything you celebrate, just keep including him regularly. Last thing is celebrate him always. And this is something I don't do well. What, if, what would happen if at the end of the day we looked back over our day and we said, thanks, God, for all your goodness. Thanks for being part of that. And thanks for helping me there. And before we finish this point, I want to lean in just a little bit to the men in the room, especially the fathers. Dads, uh, you have a, a measure of authority over your household and your children and your wife that you can invoke and invite the presence of God into their life. So, let's step it up and make sure we are inviting on their behalf. God, I invite you, your presence, into the life of, right? By the way, ladies, that's applicable to you too. Who's under your authority? Then you can invite them on their behalf in measure. Boy, we should be doing that a lot. Okay, so David slays a giant by including God's presence. Second idea. He slays a giant by exhibiting observable urgency. Urgency. I like this point. You may not, but I like this point. Three times if you read the whole chapter, David runs. He runs. So I just noticed that as I've read it before. David left the things, the keeper of supplies. He ran to the battle line. As the Philistine moved closer, David ran quickly 
toward him. And at the end it says, David, this is just before the final finale, David ran and stood over him after the rock sunk into his head. Here's the idea we're going to explore. You can write this in. There are situations in every story that require intensity during that moment. situations in every story that require intensity or urgency during that moment. Most of David's life, he walked. I would say. But every once in a while, folks, it is a, it is a thing that we need to do where we don't walk. Most of the story David wasn't running. But every once in a while, there are situations in your life and my life that are not walk situations. They're get it done, get it done now. They're situations you don't put off. Parents, as you're trying to raise your kid, there are certain things, that certain situations where you will need to do something now. Well, we know that Billy's biting his friends We're probably going to get on that one of these days. So, well, like when he's 18 and he's chewing on people, what are you? (laughs) We, you know, our parenting where you see a behavior, you have a behavior you want to get established, and you want you want your kids. Someday I'll tell my kids I love them. What the heck is that? Someday they'll know I'm there to support him. That's crazy. Some of the discipline tactics that we're doing now, by the way, are just foolish. Well, we'll put that off and we'll wait till we talk to the counselor when he's sick. Don't try to fix that when they're 14. The urgency is today. Train up a child when they're young. Is that, okay, see, I'm stepping on toes, but there are certain things you do not want to wait until later. So they're now moments. Look, I just clapped. Like, now, Jimmy, are you with me? Like, okay, never mind. There's things we should do. Relationally, there are certain things that will come up in a relationship you need to deal with now. This last week, a friend called me, an old friend, and when, when we parted company years ago, it wasn't good. Have you ever had one of those? I'm not sure what happened too much, but it was like it just didn't work out great. So he called and, and left a message, said, hey, I'm getting ready to move to another town, and I felt like maybe we should have a conversation, and you know, I, I was within five minutes, I called him right back, it went to voicemail, but I left, yeah, man, I got time, what, let's talk, and within, a, within 24 hours, we were on the phone talking, that's not something, you go, well, someday I'll, you know, try to live at peace with a brother or sister, you do that now, oh, there's another example, just uh, this last week, I just had the joy of go, going to meet uh, with the, one of the mission teams that were serving over in Illinois. Here's a picture of the team. And so it was a couple of weeks ago, Kathy Smorella, who oversees this area of the church, said, hey, Mark, could you come and we'll just go work with the team and encourage them? I didn't even look uh, with any diligence at my calendar. I just said, yeah, yes, put it on my calendar now. Because I thought that's just something that needs to happen. By the way, this now stuff sometimes will get all up in the business of some of your rest. But I just had this thought. I probably don't have time to talk about it. But there are certain things in your life, even when you're tired, you, you get them done. 
because that's what successful game-winning people do. Professionally. How about this? You ready? Think of work. Here we go. This is going to be a stretch. Finish the project. So they're like, oh, now, now you're over. What do you mean? I don't get it. No, at our work, we stretch things out. As long. No, finish the project. Financially, some of your situations are financial. Here you go. Put your resume together and get a better job or take the job that they're offering you. Get a job now. Put in overtime. Put in for overtime. Just go, I got this situation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work overtime. Here's one. Oh, this is crazy. Oh, we're just going crazy now. Cancel cable because you don't have the money for cable. Can, has anyone ever looked at you and said that? You don't make enough money. to have, You don't have a job. Cancel cable. See, now we're getting really into people's business. Cut up the credit card because you can't manage it. You need to cut up the credit card. I'm done. I'm leaving church now. I can't believe you're talking about cut up because now we're just getting crazy. Can I? If we had enough time, I would go to another section of this text. Every once in a while, you should do something that other people will see and go, "Oh, come on, come on, that's a little overboard." If you want to explore the end of this text, here's what David did at the end of this battle. Okay, in verse 51, it's, this is David, his, he threw the stone, sunk into his head, Goliath falls face down. It says he ran and stood over him, right? And then it says, after he killed him, that's important. After he killed him, he cut off his head. Now, there's some people that I, I understand what you'd be saying. Oh, that seems overboard. He's already dead. Oh, that's gross. Oh, someone should have stopped him. Oh, that's unkind. But there is, a, there is this urgency thing. And by the way, it's important to the whole battle. Because one verse later it says, when the Philistines, that's the bad guys up on that hill, saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Here's how Mark's imagination works. Philistines are up there. They got all this confidence in their big dude guy, Right? You with me? You with me, great bro? They're all out there. And these guys are like, well, it doesn't look like it's going well, but our guy will handle it. David hits him and he falls down. But if you're up on the hill, what, hundreds of yards away, you're looking down. And if I'm them, I'm thinking, it's okay, he'll get up. I mean, because he just got hit. He'll get up, right? Come on. Okay, Goliath, come up. Get up. Get up, man. Don't worry. He's been down before. He'll get up. When David... Cuts off his head, holds it up. How many of you know that all the people on the guy, the guys up on this hill, they're going, yeah, I don't think he's getting up. <laughs> I think we just lost. Right? And it is after that, the battle shifts. And it's because of David leaning in with urgency and exceptional, diligent passion. And it changes the whole thing. <laughs> Something to chew on, you guys. Sometimes what other people will perceive as overboard might be the exact thing that you need to do in that situation. It's not their situation. It's your situation. 
Don't be driven by the voice of people. Sometimes I think our world just wants to calm us down a little too much. Our kids are too important. Your financial situation is important. Your marriage is important. Your dating relationship is important. The world a lot of times wants to say, oh, just everyone, just calm down, calm down. Every once in a while, you should not be calm. A lot of this stuff is life and death. Your spiritual life is not something that we should be, it's something we should be urgent about. Last fill in the blank. When was the last time I was observably aggressive with one of my identified priorities? Every once in a while, folks, it's worth being passionate because that priority is that important. So to recap, David slays a giant by including God's presence and exhibiting observable urgency. Good, helpful stuff for me to consider. Why don't you stand and we will move into a time of prayer. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray that you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.